0: Live longer and die happy. actually die joyful. Ooh. almost sound like Charlton Huston there for a moment. Y'all all right this morning you look tired or you just still trip too much tryptophan Okay. Yeah. What's that? Car lag? Car lag yeah, I got gotcha. you. Let's pray. God showed me something during praise and worship and uh, it blew up inside of my head. And that song they were singing, and in one of the lines it said, remind my soul. You're a triune being, you're a body. That's this thing. It's a skin, it's like this shirt. The thing that animates my body is my spirit, which is eternal and my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. And when it said to remind my soul, it clicked with me. My spirit is always aware of who God is. My spirit man has been made alive and regenerated in Christ Jesus. My spirit man converses with the Holy Spirit who converses with Jesus, who sits on the right hand of the Father, always making intercession for me. But my soulish realm, where my flesh and my mind, my emotions, my will are, that is the tricky maze. And when I saw that, it just thundered inside me and it talked about shaking. So I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you remind our souls, Lord. I pray right now, there's some of you here, you need a shaking from the Lord inside of you you need god this holy spirit of god to remind your flesh to remind your emotions, to remind your will to come into subjection to the Almighty. You need to be shaken so hard to your core that literally your bones are shaken to the core, out of place, disassembled from the inside out, reassembled in the perfect plan and image of an Almighty God who says, I am alive. I was dead, but I am He that is alive, and I live forevermore. I am the first and the last. I am Alpha and Omega. There has never been been one like me before and there will never be one like me again and that is who you serve I am not some puny God made of stone or wood and with the things you asked of me I will answer you In my distress, the scripture says, I called upon the Lord and my cry came up and it didn't stop at the door, it says. It came right into the throne room. It didn't stop at the guardian angel. It came past him and it says it went right to God's ear and he bowed the heavens down. That means he bent down heaven and manifested himself in the midst of my problem. That's the kind of God that Joel Harris serves. It is why I am alive today and not dead. Because the God that I serve hears my cry from heaven and he bows the heavens down and he manifests himself in this life, not only in the life to come, folks, you, you are downtrodden and your countenance is drawn and not because of your worries and your problems. Trust me, I understand. But I would say to you today that you serve a God who is eminent. He is on the throne in heaven. He is right here with you. And he bows down the heavens when you are in distress, when you call out to him. And your soul needs to be shaken. It needs to be shaken to the core. You have a wrong mindset and an ungodly belief system about God. He is for you, not against you. And I pray that, Father, over your people this morning, God, that they would receive that word, Lord. They would get it down deep within them, Lord, that they would walk in victory and not in defeat. God, that they would continue to move forward and not retreat. Some days, God, they won't gain an inch, but bless God, they're not going to lose an eighth of an inch. They're going to stand some days. God, I just pray that for your people, Lord, that some days they will see spiritual dirt under their fingernails. I see it in my spirit, man. Spiritual dirt. Some of you have been hunkered down. You've been going through hell on earth, but you've made a choice inside. You've said, I'm going to hunker down, and I got my hands planted down in the foundation dirt of Christ, and I'm holding on. I might not have moved forward today, but bless God, I didn't go back none. And when you stood up there, that dirt's under your fingernails as an Ebenezer. It means, Ebenezer means God has been faithful thus far. And you remember, in Jesus' name, amen. God has been faithful thus far. I can say that without a shadow of a doubt. Have I had problems? Have I had pain? Have I had sickness? Have I had mourning? Yes, I have. But God has never let me down. He has never failed me. He has never forsaken me. Nor will he ever fail me or forsake me. And you need to get that down in your spirit. Alrighty. That was free. Now I got to charge you. I'm sorry. I could just see dirt under your fingernails. You just keep... You ain't went backwards. The enemy's... Look at you down there, having done all to stand, stand. You got your faint, you're dug into Christ. You got that robe balled up in your hands and you're dug down. You're not, I'm not, I might not have moved forward today, but bless God, I didn't go back. I didn't quit. I didn't quit. A.W. Tozer said, the Christian is most sin-free when he is most conscious of his sin. He also says that the purpose behind all doctrine is to secure moral action. That's what the purpose of the entirety of this book is, to secure moral action in you. That's the purpose behind all doctrine. So today we're going to talk about some moral action. Moral action. All right. Turn to Psalms 116. A few weeks back, uh, the days have all ran together, especially for me and my family here lately. But <clears throat> Pastor was talking about he and he had quoted the uh, Lord's Prayer when we were praying intercession, and he had also uh, quoted the twenty-third Psalm. And he had mentioned to our congregation about, "Have we lost that? You know, is that too familiar to you as a Christian?" I don't need that. I know that. I did that in Sunday school. Might I suggest you go back to Sunday school? You want a good Bible? Go buy a children's Bible. I'm not kidding with you. You want a good Bible? Buy a good children's Bible. Sometimes the simplest thing is the best thing. There is no new revelation. There's only new old revelation. An ancient word given by God that is new to you but is old. Eons. God has no measurement of time. Neither does His word. His word is eternal. So I would suggest to you that. And I was reading the 23rd Psalm ever since the pastor suggested it. Believe it or not, I take my pastor's suggestions. He's been through a lot. Knows a lot. Smart guy. And so... I was like, well, Pastor said I'd be thinking more about the 23rd Psalm. And So I've been reading the 23rd Psalm every day at lunchtime, out loud, in my car. I also read Isaiah 42 as a promise God has given me, over me. And that's where this sermon had originated from. I'm going to make a disclaimer, though, here in Psalms 116. 6, and it says, And I'm living proof of this scripture. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. It's just simple. It's a simple gospel. Man complicates it. I was going to preach on our core beliefs uh, found in Acts chapter 10 called the kerygma. It means to proclaim. It's a Greek word. Acts chapter 10. It's the kerygma. And it basically talks about everything that we believe in a nutshell. Before there was a Nicene Creed, the Council of Nicaea, and the Apostles' Creed, there was Peter preaching in Cornelius' house. And we call it the Kerygma, a proclamation, the gospel. So I'm living proof that the Lord preserves the simple. And I was brought low, and he saved me. And not only has he saved me once through salvation but he has saved me time and time and time again and that's what i want to talk to you about today all right now turn over to the 23rd psalm. most of you can probably quote it to me you can you can probably just quote it to me right how many of you know about mary and lazarus Her, her brother died right And Jesus delayed. They sent word to Jesus. And uh, when I tell you to go back to Sunday school, what I'm really wanting you to do is to get back in there. And some of those stories that you heard all your life and you've read and you think you know, go back and read again. And look at some details. When Mary, you know, Jesus delays and Lazarus dies. And he comes and, and she's like, oh, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would still be alive. And there's a little phrase in there. There's a little word. It's a conjunction. And you read right over it. It's a verb. She says, but even now. Go back and you look it up. But even now, he can live again. There's So much faith in that phrase that Mary uses there. He wouldn't have died if you would have been here, Jesus. But even now. Many of you are at that point, you feel like you're dead inside. You have served God, you're good folks, and it seems like all hell has come against you. And it seems lost, it seems dead. And God would say to you, even now, resurrection can occur. Even now. My life has been a series of deaths, burials, and resurrections. It really has. And I've had to learn that, that God was teaching me something and parts of my flesh had to die for me to be resurrected into a different person, to where I needed to be, the person God wanted me to be, to align and assemble my bones back the way God had ordered them from the beginning. All right, so we're in Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want it. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, is what the New King James says. It literally means to lie down in tender grass. Tender grass. You know why? And I say I'm a simple man, and, and I was joking with Pastor about being, you know, joking and been laughing and all, because I love cartoons and things, and God speaks to me in funny ways. Like I can smell rain on hot pavement, and I'm eight years old again riding my bike. In the summertime, and when he said green grass is there and green pastures, when I read through that, you ever when you were a kid in the summertime, you ever roll down a hill in the grass, right? And most of us guys, you know, you you didn't have your t-shirt, you know, and you're you're a young kid, you know, and you're out there and you cut all blue jean shorts. I'm gonna roll down the hill. Yeah, let's roll down the hill. Yeah, you roll down the hill, and like about 15 minutes later. You're like one of them monkeys on National Geographic, dude. You're like itching and scratching the grass. It's like, what in the heck is going on? Is that ever? Is, am I the only one? It's like that grass, just like it's just like itching. And it's being who I am, and God knowing who I am, says that's not the kind of grass I'm talking about here, son. You can lay. This is tender grass because literally that's what it translates to. Not green pastures, but Tender, soft grass. It doesn't irritate. And he goes on and he says, he leads me beside still waters. And literally, that means waters of rest. How many of you need rest? You are tired? You are tired, ain't you? You've been rushing to and fro to try to please people you don't even like. i got to buy so-and-so a present because they might buy me a present. And if I don't get them a present, then my Lord, what are they going to think about me? And this is just going to be a conundrum. It's going to be a cornucopia of confusion and strife. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're you're already wore out. Dad ain't even put the Christmas lights up yet and he's wore out. Waters of rest. He leads me. Because see, the 23rd Psalm, what it is, man, is how God really feels about you and how he's, what He has for you, what He wants for you, His perfect plan for you, His perfect love and thoughts and caring for you. And He knows that we need rest. He restores, verse 3, He restores my soul. My soul. Didn't say my spirit there. My spirit's eternal. My soul needs restoration. Where do offenses come and hit us? Our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's our soul. He restores my soul. I don't know about you, but I've had my soul cut open more than once by people. (laughs) I laugh. You know, what? I'll talk about my wife. She's staying with her mom right now. She's not here, but uh, she's not here, so I can talk about her. Unless she gets the tape. Anyway, But she loves animals and all, and you know, animals are that way, that they just love you. You know, and if an animal bites you, typically it's just because it's an animal. And I started wondering about that. I'm like, well, people bite you. Maybe because they're just acting like an animal, like what people tend to be. And isn't that what being a Christian is about? It's about changing the dynamic of who we are. We walk in that beginning of salvation, and we walk in that. We, we walk this thing out, the sanctification. We're becoming better than we used to be. You know, um, I used to be an angry young boy. I did. I used to fight all the time. A lot. At school, on a school bus, off the school bus. And a lot of that stuff was a result of wounds that I had suffered and scars. And it took a long time for the Lord to work a healing inside of me. And um, I just know that we need to change. And God has been changing me little by little. Here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. I'm not there yet. I'm still that... Preserving the simple guy who gets lost sometimes and God finds me. <clears throat> My mouth is dry. I must be nervous. Smile, y'all. If y'all don't smile, I'm telling you, it makes Pastor and me nervous. Because <laughs> We don't know whether y'all are ticked off or you're just zoned out. I don't know. NASCAR is over, y'all. Concentrate on the sermon. NASCAR is over. So he goes and he restores my soul. There have been wounds inflicted on me. I know there's been wounds inflicted on you. And that's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He comes to heal those hurts, those wounds. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Wait a minute. God's got a stake in the game. That's what that's saying. God is putting his name on the line for you. That changes the whole dynamic of what it means to me to be a Christian. It's not about me. It's about representing God and his name. And he's got a stake in the game because he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So when I don't walk as I ought to walk and talk as I ought to talk and do the things that I ought to do, it's risking the name of God. It brings Um, it's like looking into a murky pool, the the proverb says. When you look into a man who confesses to be godly, but his actions are otherwise, it's it's like an unclear pool of water is what it says. It's murky. It's stirred up. It's not settled. And so God has a stake in the game. And I, I would reason that every day I've been reading this psalm and quoting it over and over out loud every day. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death is but a shadow. Can I die? Yes, I could die tomorrow. I may have another 30 years. You know, I'm still a young spring chicken. I may have another 40 years. I may have another 10 seconds. That is not my decision. That is God's. He holds my breath out here. And he can give it back to me anytime he wants or hold it back. He's God Almighty. But this valley that you're walking through, if you can imagine a reflection of death around you. And it's trying to get you off kilter, off centered. He's trying to get you to walk in circles in the valley. Through the valley. You don't want to wander in that valley where there's these reflections of death the enemy is constantly throwing. well what about this what about that and doesn't the mainstream media play into that i mean news flash good lord almighty don't eat Jeff peanut butter you're all going to die it's full of cyanide or something like that i mean just pick something man the media it's it's all fear mongering and all this stuff and we're constantly surrounded by death and and the, the threat of death and the news and and this is a valley we're in right now. We're walking through the valley, but the lilies in the valley. The lilies in the valley. And we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you are with me. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was walking through a bad area... I would want my buddy Charlie, who was three times wounded in Vietnam, a Silver Star, Bronze Star recipient with his M60 machine gun in Vietnam, walking beside me. If I was walking in that, if I was in the Aishaw Valley of Vietnam, or Pleiku, the the, the Central Highlands, we had an air base at Pleiku, it was one of the first times we were ever attacked by the North Vietnamese. And my buddy was right there in the Central Highlands in 1968 after the Tet Offensive. And uh, when he stood up with old Big Mama, every safest place to be when he was standing up with that M60 was on your belly. (laughs) And I just kind of, God breaks things simple down for me because he knows I'm a simple man. For thou art with me. And I can just see God there with his big m 60 And his frag grenades and his Marine Corps fighting knife. And it's like, everything's going to be all right. Well, I don't even need a weapon if you're around. I can just walk through. God's God's on point. Most dangerous place on point. God's on point. And I can just follow God. And the enemy, though, is trying to get you off track. He's trying to get you to look to the right, look to the left. There's death over here. There's death over here. Don't you hear this diagnosis? Don't you hear this diagnosis? Don't you hear this diagnosis? Paul addressed it when he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. For a Christian, I don't want to die before my time. But death is nothing but a door from one consciousness into a higher level of consciousness. And a matter of fact, if you're you're a believer and I don't care where you are when you die out in the Namibian desert somewhere, and there's no one around for a 1,000 miles. You do not die alone. Lazarus died, and the angels took him to the bosom of Abraham. So to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'm not saying I welcome death, but we've got to get out of our minds. We've been fed this, this mess, this constant meal of fear and death and destruction you've got to get that out of your mind for you're with me he goes on in verse four to say your rod and your staff they comfort me now it's interesting there that word comfort and pastor talked about how the rod you know they pass under the rod the rod of correction Do you understand that God's correction is never punitive? I'm going to say that again. God's correction for you as a believer is never punitive. He is not trying to punish you. The correction of the Lord is redemptive. It is restorative. If God is correcting you and you're in the middle of God's correction, understand he is trying to restore you to a higher place, a higher state of being, a higher state of consciousness with him. He's trying to teach you something and keep you from something. So God's correction is never punitive to punish, but always to restore. You need to understand that. And so he says, you know, you're and on your staff. You comfort me. But what was so cool about this? Because I love to teach new things. When I learn, I love to learn stuff. So when I learn something new, I'm just about to bust. to Go tell somebody, hey, I found this out, and that this is that, this, and this is that. And many of you, I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm a long talker. I may catch you in the hallway, and you know, you say one little thing, and and then I'm like, yeah, and you know, and I seen this in the scripture, man, and blah 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 blah. blah, blah and an hour later, and here's. You're politely staring at me and, oh, wow, Pastor Joel, my leg's going to sleep and I just would like to go home. And it's like 930 and I got to go home. I'm sorry about all that. Just strike it up to it's just who I is. But I get excited about learning these new old things. They're new to me, but they are ancient with the Almighty. And that word comfort there is nakam. N-A-C-H-A-M. And it literally means deep sighing that does not describe casual sympathy. It's not casual sympathy. It's empathy. It's literally where we get weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and sigh with those who are sighing. Deep regrets. When you repent and you are crying out with the Lord, the word Naham is there to breathe out heavily in distress, whether you're in mourning, weeping, or you're in regret over your sin. It says that God is there with you. That's what that's saying. That is cool to me, man. When I saw that, it changed the whole meaning. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God ain't waiting for you to come by and you messed up and he goes whack you in the back of the head with a stick. That's not what that's saying. It's saying, I know you messed up and, you're, and he's down here beside you and he's sighing with you. I know so-and-so is sick and it's been hard and I'm hurting with you. Hebrews says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tested as we are, yet without sin. Jesus came in the flesh to know what it's like to be you. So that when you're in a time of stress and discomfort and pain and agony, he knows what it's like to suffer all of those things. He goes on in in, in verse 5, and he says, and we're going to come back to 5. I'm going to read through it, but we're coming back to 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy. Those are two good things, aren't they? Goodness and mercy. Whew. Because the mercy of God sent goodness to the earth in the form of Jesus Christ to save me. Were it not for God's mercy it's my most favorite attribute. It's symbolized on the ephod of the high priest as an emerald. Green is the color that represents God's mercy. Not money. Sometimes money has been mercy from the Lord, I will say. Has it been for you? Yeah. Yeah. But the mercy of the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Big little word. Again, I was reading and doing word study. That word follow is a Hebrew word. It's Radaf, R-A-W-D-A-F, Radaf. Now, this is what I thought mercy was when I seen that. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Joel's walking. Here's goodness and mercy. (whistles) Stop. Don't want to. Hey, when somebody steps on your heels, you know, I'll stop short. So I won't step on Joel's heels. Oh, he's backing up. Oh, he's walking over here. Uh, Holy Spirit, you see where he's walking? I don't think you ought to walk on that aisle. There might be something over there you really shouldn't see. Well, let me zap him with a little bit of uh, conviction there. Oh, yeah, don't go over that aisle. Flesh is like dragging you back over there. Holy Spirit, don't go over that aisle. You see, it's like, and then, okay, now we're on the right aisle again, and mercy's just following me around. Goodness. And mercy. But that's not what that means at all. At all. Radoff literally means to run after, to chase like a hunter after game and overtake it. Do you hear what I just said to you? This verse tells me that goodness and mercy is going to hunt me down like a animal of prey, chase after me and overtake me whatever circumstance I'm in, whatever problem, whatever state of mourning, whatever sickness. Doesn't matter whether I'm on my deathbed. Goodness and mercy is going to run after me my entire life from the time that this boy was born. Do you understand what that means to me, the revelation of that word in a psalm that I have heard my entire life? My mama had an old metal plaque, the Lord's Prayer, and the 23rd Psalm, and it hung in the the kitchen right there, man. All my life I've heard this. And not until now do I fully understand that from the time I drew my first breath, goodness and mercy from my God has been chasing after me like a hunter, bent on catching me and pursuing me. Good God almighty, people, don't that drive you insane? I mean, think about it. Not happenstance, but pursuing me with an everlasting love. You've not chosen me. I've chosen you and sought you out, and I'm chasing you down. Mercy's running after me. Goodness running after me. How many of you feel like the death and destruction and sickness and poverty and debt and depression and fear is chasing you down? I'm here to tell you that God Almighty trumps all of that. His Spirit says, I've sent goodness and mercy out to hunt you down, overtake you, and bless you. You'll be blessed setting down, blessed rising up, blessed going out, blessed coming in. You're above and not beneath the head, not the tail first and not last. I'm tired of thinking I'm last. I'm tired of thinking I'm not deserving. You know what? I'm not deserving. I'm the simple one that the Lord preserves. That's me. In a psalm, I have read my entire life. Because my pastor says, you know, I feel we should pay more attention to the 23rd psalm. I just feel the Lord saying we should read it. Think about it more, you know. What did I do? Just obedient. Obedient is, is so much better than sacrifice, the Bible says. Wow. Because I was obedient, God has blessed me there. And I thought, whew. you see that new commercial where the people get these ideas, cash register, and their little heads blow out this purple smoke? Poof. I had one of them. Poof, poof, poof. Top of my head just blew off. And I'm like, whoo! Wow, man. That just changes the whole dynamic. I've been thinking that I'm just plodding along through this. They even make a song, plod on, plod on. (laughs) Good Lord, have mercy. I don't want to plod on. I want to run on, run on. Can you keep up mercy? Can you keep up goodness? Mercy and goodness is behind you, saying, "Dude, you are really not living up to your potential here. Come on, man, run." I've been reading a good book. I, I typically don't mention guys who are still alive who write books because they may fail you. <laughs> the only dudes that I, I usually quote are dead guys. Or I never quote people that are alive except for Jesus. And um, but this guy Mark Bastian, wrote a book called The Circle Maker. And he said, if you guys pray prayers, you pray prayers, and God's like, what? He's like, Lord, I just want to, and God's like, God's pulling out his wallet. Now, could pick, look, you got to be a cartoon character like me, okay? You got you to picture this stuff. And God's up there like, oh, he's praying. Let me get my wallet out. And, uh, what? Dog. I ain't even got to pull my omniscience card or an omnipotence card or omnipresent card out for that prayer. That's the kind of prayers we pray. He said, we pray prayers many times that God doesn't even have to pull out his omnipotence card to answer. God is asking you to challenge him. Pray for the impossible. Believe for the impossible. He said, my arm's not short that it can't save even now, Lazarus is dead and decayed. But even now, boy, that prayer challenged him, didn't it? God's not offended when you challenge him with big prayers. How am I gonna do it? How's it gonna work? I don't know, but I know the one who does. I know the one who does. And Jesus said, It doesn't matter whether you're healed or not. He said, It's better to enter into heaven, halt, and lame. Than enter to hell with a healthy body. In the end, we win. I'm just gonna tell you straight that's just the way it is. I've lost a lot of people to death. I have. I got a mother-in-law right now suffering. Suffering. If God heals her, we're gonna have a shout and throw down fit. If he don't, we're gonna cry. But we're still gonna have a shout and throw down fit because she loves Jesus and she reads her Bible. And my wife turns the pages for her, bless God. Because that's how we live and move and have our being. We say in you I live and move and have my being, God. And goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life and overtake me. And if you overtake me, God, and take me on home, Let's say I ain't moving fast enough, and it's my time. And goodness and mercy just overtakes me like he did Elijah and says, Come on out of here, boy. Woo! Can you see that? Can you feel that? I bet you Elijah, the hair on the back of his neck, just stood on in. He was like, woo Here we go. Goodness and mercy done caught slammed up with me and took me on out of here. I mean, we win. We've already won. And I saw it, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, you are so good to me. And I wrote on the back of my paper back there, remind my soul, I need God to shake me up inside, shake my very bones. Who are you, boy? Look at me, boy. Who are you? Stand on your feet like a man and tell me if you know. Have you laid the foundations of the earth? Have you weighed out the sand? Do you know how much water there is? Have you walked the depths of the sea? I created Leviathan, the sea monster. Where were you? Dare you doubt me? Dare you doubt me? Pray a prayer for me that you have no way to answer yourself. We pray prayers, Mark Batterson said, that are on the fringe of our abilities so that if God lets us down, we can still work it out ourselves. Boy, that one smacked me in the face. I was so ticked off at Mark Batterson for about three days after I read that. I was like, man, what are you doing all up in my gravy? He just had his biscuit all up in my gravy. I've been doing, I prayed in prayers. Yeah, because you know if God fails, and I always got this thing over here on the side I can fall back on. Yeah. Pray, work like it depends on you. Pray like it depends on God. You'll be all right. Goodness and mercy will hunt me down and overtake me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, it says. Now, I want to go back up there to that verse 5, because I had gotten all that. (laughs) You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The title of the sermon is What's for Supper? When I was a kid, we didn't eat dinner. Dinner was something rich folks ate. We ate supper. Mama said, when it gets dark, you know, time for supper. You eat supper. Now, y'all can eat dinner if you want. I eat supper. And even now, I don't tell my wife, let's go out to dinner. I say, let's go out and eat. See, it sounds better to say, let's go out and have dinner. It does sound better. It sounds more sophisticated. I'm not sophisticated. If I am seem sophisticated around y'all, I'm acting. You understand? Because I, I, I'm just not. Now, I try to be all things to all people, and, and I'm not trying to offend you, but I don't eat dinner. I eat supper. The Lord ate supper. Didn't say they ate dinner. Said they ate supper. The last supper. All right, good enough for God good enough for me. He said thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I'm reading through this now. I know none of y'all have ever suffered with unforgiveness. I, I have. I've, I've, I've suffered with that, you know, just hard to forgive folks, you know. But it's not everybody's as godly as me. I mean, let's just admit it. I'm a, not everybody's as godly as you are. And they make mistakes and they act like people do, and I've been having some problems and with three guys, and it's an ongoing daily thing, and honest to goodness now, I've practiced this before with results. I had a guy that did me terribly wrong years back, just as a testimony to the fact of my simplicity that I know better, but I did it anyway, okay? So, and this guy, you know, he did me pretty, pretty bad. And, and um, so I, I, I said, Lord, you know I don't mean a word of what I'm about to say. But I forgive that boy. I forgive him. I pray for him in Jesus' name. I didn't feel nothing. Matter of fact, whenever I thought about it, I got a little ticked off. I still hurt. And I was still mad. And it still bothered me. But every day I'd pray for that old boy. I'd say, Lord, I pray for so-and-so. You know I don't mean this, but I forgive him. Still felt ticked off, feeling still hurt. That went on for almost two years. I noticed during that time that I, it was subtle. I didn't, uh, woo. My stone, nope. nope, boom, blew something. Can y'all hear me if I yell? All right, so for about uh almost two years, this went on. I, I'd I'd prayed the same prayer. I noticed that I, I genuinely wasn't hurt anymore. I genuinely wasn't uh mad anymore. I wasn't ticked off. Uh I genuinely was At a point where I really did forgive this guy, it wasn't a month later I get a call from this dude crying on the phone, apologizing to me about what had happened, and he was so sorry and blah 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 and i'm like dude it's it's over it's done i i've forgiven and forgotten, and that's over man it's 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 no problem and um so um, I'm getting feedback from you and me up here. Is my, I'm on now? Yeah, oh, I'm on. Okay. So almost two years, I just by faith because forgiveness is what I'm going to talk about here. When I read that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over, This is what I always imagined that was. The end of it all, Jesus has got this big spread for Jojo spread out. And he's like, sit down here, boy. And all the dirty dogs that ever wronged me are standing out there. And they're watching the Lord of glory set me at the head of the table, anoint my head with oil. And there's a spread, man. There's ribeye. Absolutely got to be ribeye there. There's loaded sweet potatoes, got to be that, and all the other stuff just going on there. And all those guys, those enemies of mine are having to stand there and watch as the Lord serves me. And they're like, I'm like, yeah, eat some crow. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a good Christian, but that's what I used to think about that. And they were just, I'm just, God's just like, yeah, rubbing it in their face. Rub it in their face, God. And I was reading through that for I don't know how many times it was at that point. Because I'd just been reading as pastor had suggested. And I, I got to that point and I said, you prepare a table before me. And I'm reading out loud in my car. In the presence of my enemies, and the Lord stopped me in mid sentence and said, Won't you invite them three boys that's giving you trouble to sit down at the table, Joel? Why don't you invite your enemies to sit down at the table, Joel? Joel! Sir, why don't you invite them three boys to sit down at the table with you, son? It's your table. It says, I prepared a table. He prepares a table before me. It's my table. Everything on that table is mine. And I can give it to whomever I want. Why don't you ask them to sit down with you, son? Huh? Wait a minute. I thought this is where I get even. I thought this is where I get to rub their face in it. You did me wrong and Jesus is doing me right. And God is saying, no. They did me wrong and I did them right. He hung on the cross. Now, I'm not telling you this is easy. And, I, you know, God wasn't telling me to invite these guys to lunch. What God was trying to do was make a point inside of me that I had a wrong mindset, that I need to be vigilant about forgiveness. Who is it that you haven't forgiven? Is it somebody in your past? Is it a parent? Have they passed away? It doesn't matter you can still forgive them. And it's got nothing to do with your feelings. Forgiveness is simply an act of your will done in obedience through faith. I didn't mean it when I first forgave that guy. I said it out of obedience, in faith, believing that God would make it true in my heart. And it finally was. And it was just God just reiterating inside of me Because if you turn with me to uh, Psalms 112, I had read through that. It totally changed the way that I looked at that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's your table, so why don't you invite your enemies to sit down? Jesus to them, and I was reading because I've been reading through the entire Psalms again. And in Psalms one twelve verse eight, it says it's talking about a righteous man. The whole chapter, chapter one hundred twelve, is about a righteous man, and it's talking about how he'll be blessed and the blessed state of the righteous. And it says in verse eight that his heart is established. The righteous man's heart is established; he will not be afraid. Until he sees his desire upon his enemies. And as I was reading that, God said, what is your desire for your enemies, son? I can change your desires for your enemies. That's a love that I I don't have. God's the only one that's got the capacity to love like that, y'all. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can do that within you. When somebody has harmed you. They have sinned against you, grievous things, terrible things. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can give that God kind of love, that God kind of forgiveness, that God kind of freedom. And I read that, and it says, the righteous man, his heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Now, before God had shown me that in Psalms 23, I would have thought, yeah. I'll see my desire on my enemies. I'll go over there and lop his head off with a sword. But his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. And I thought, and God said, I can change your desire. What is our desire for our enemies? Do we want to see them punished? Was that the example of my Lord? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I did a study on crucifixion, and I won't go into all of it, but it's the most brutal way to die. <clears throat> Excruciating did not exist until crucifixion because they had to invent a word that described crucifixion. Excrucia means to, out of the cross. That's how painful it is. That's how painful it is. It's beyond imagining. The ulnar nerves right here. You ever hit your funny bone? that nail goes through and by the way the greek word for hand in latin and greek encompasses from the wrist forward so that nerve right between those bones that nail pushed against it we have archaeological evidence of thousands of christians in around 130 some a.d where nails were nailed through the uh the, the nerve that ran down through the back of your foot, the sciatic nerve, I know we're all about that sciatic, and the, the ankle bones were found in excavations with olive wood washers to keep the feet from pulling off the nails, and it would rub against that nerve and the reason for that was is because. The holes in the cross were located about six inches further than the average man's arm span. And so they would dislocate your shoulders to nail you to the cross. So that you have no strength in your arms. And you're slunched down. And there's pain in your, your ankles. And so you are suffocating now. Your body weight's suffocating you. So the only way you can get breath is to push up on the most excruciating pain you can imagine. And suck in some air and hang there for a moment. While you're doing that, there's no strength in your arms. So this is pulling you out from the tree, the cross, against this ulnar nerve. And you can't take the pain any longer. So you slump down and you begin to suffocate again. That's crucifixion, short version. Jesus looked down at those men and said, forgive them for they know not what they do nobody's ever crucified me i felt like it but i've never went through what he's went through but i know that he's able to give me strength to go through what i need to do he's there for me if you're going through some stuff today forgiveness if you look turn over to luke chapter 6 you know what i used to say about luke 6 Remember now, I'm I'm a great Christian. I'm Mr. Holy. I used to say, Luke chapter 6 makes me sick. Luke chapter 6 makes me sick. Why? Because it's all about loving your enemies. People done stole your lunch money, done beat you up. Done called you ugly. Now look. You see these ears right here? You see my ears? They were hard fought. Go through middle school with these ears. Y'all, let me tell you something. You know, I had to go back in my mind, in my spirit, man, and, and, and I, there was a, a couple of kids. I can still remember their names and forgive them for tormenting me about my ears, you know, because little boys... Our heads are like, you know, they grow at different rates and our ears grow like really fast. <laughs> I was a cute kid. Those couple of kids just tormented me, you know, and I had to forgive them. I was down inside of me. I didn't even realize that. But God gave me grace to do that. But I was the thought of love my enemies, do good to them, That I just couldn't wrap my head around that. And I would always say Luke chapter 6 makes me sick. I'll read it. God said to read it, and Jesus said it, and blah blah blah. But I don't like it none. How many? How much? How come? of you know? You don't have to like what the Bible says for it to be true. You cannot like it; it's still true. The truth sets us free, but most of the time, it offends us first. And in Luke chapter six, verse thirty-five, he says, belove love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return." and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. He has been kind to the unthankful and the evil, and I wrote there in pen, that has been me. I've been unthankful before. I've been in a a wicked lifestyle before. When I was lost, and when I was lost, And unthankful, he was kind to me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He commended his love for me. Therefore, verse 36, be merciful. Merciful, just as your father is also merciful. Listen, I'm not... If you saw, if this was a bottle of hydrochloric acid and you knew it, and, and I was about to drink that down, you wouldn't just say, hey, Joel, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you about what you're about to drink. Um, it's, I'm thinking it's hydrochloric acid. Actually, I know it is. And you might want to put it down. No, I'd have that thing up to my face and you'd be like, dude, that was hydrochloric acid. When you knocked that out of my hand, I'd be like, what in the heck is wrong with you? Spill my drink until I looked over and seen smoke coming off the floor and a big hole in it. Oh, Donka, you just saved my life. That's what unforgiveness is. It's like drinking poison, hoping that other guy's going to die. God knows it's hard to forgive them when they've beaten you, and cussed you, sinned against you, told you you were no good, all those ungodly lies, it's not easy, folks. God knows it's not easy. But what he's trying to tell you is is that unforgiveness and bitterness inside of you is an infection. It is a poison. And it's like that this is a big old bottle of blessing. And unforgiveness is the cork. And God's trying to tell you, you need to pop that thing out, man. When he talks about forgive that you may be forgiven, you need to understand that when we operate and we stay in unforgiveness and bitterness, we're not going to walk for so long so godly. It, It just stops. We begin to revert back to our old ways because we just can't help ourselves. And what God is trying to tell you with that is that if you don't forgive, you're going to continue to sin. You're going to continue to live in a lifestyle of being bound up. Would note the blessing is stopped, it's corked. That bottle of blessing is corked with unforgiveness. And it's not about that person. God's trying to heal you. And he may have to take a scalpel, a knife, and cut you open. The word of God is what? Quick and powerful, sharper than a two edged sword, dividing asunder the joint and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. The soul. Where do offenses cut? The soul. The mind, the will, and the emotions. Does God need to open you up to see what's inside of you? No. He already knows what's inside of you. God wants you to be cut open by his word to get the infection out of you so you can see. This is why I act the way that I do. This is why this is the way that it is. And so on and so forth. Whatever your circumstance, I don't care what the offense. The Holy Spirit of God, not Joel, not me, because I am perfect. I am that simple man that was lost and has been saved. But the Holy Spirit can heal that. He can do surgery. He's a perfect surgeon and he can cut that infection out of you. Flip over here. We're gonna read uh, two of those scriptures. That? I'm closing, I'm closing, Pastor. Is that what the guy said? I like what David, Pastor Dave Hoffman said. He said it doesn't have to be everlasting to be eternal doesn't have to be everlasting to be eternal. Your message doesn't have to take all day to have eternal consequence. Turn over to Psalms 31, verse 10. No, no, that's not it. I'm sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. I'll be aight. right. Yes, it was that. I'm sorry. I turned to the wrong one. That's that cartoon stuff coming out again. I don't say blah, blah, blah. All right, Psalms 31, verse 10. Why is God so heavy on forgiveness? Because he just wants to make you miserable, and he just wants to dig up old hurts, and he he just wants you to let your enemies get away with it? No. Look at what it says. I could have went to a bunch of scriptures, but God gave me this one. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. Remember that comforting, the word comfort? Deep sighing. God's there sighing with you. and those years you've spent with grief, and my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. When we don't forgive, it's, it's a sin. We have to forgive. God commanded us to forgive. It's iniquity. And what he's telling you there and what the Lord was showing me, he's like, son, people spend their whole lives in unforgiveness, and literally they're grieving their entire life. Whether it's a parent that did you wrong that has long since passed away, or whoever it is, a friend that you don't even know anymore. A past relationship. It doesn't matter. They spend their entire lives in grief and deep their years in sighing. And their strength has failed them. And their bones are wasting away. And th- so the Lord is trying to get that infection out of your body. It's destroying you. So understand. Understand. Why? Because you want to be a witness for the Lord. Turn to Matthew Matthew 5.13. Matthew chapter 5, 13, and I really am closing. Because unforgiveness is sinful, we can't harbor hatred in our brother, in our heart for our brother. It says you love God, you say you love God, but you hate your brother. You're living a lie. You don't even know it. You're not purposely living a lie. You understand you're hurt. God understands you're hurt. He's the one that's sighing with you, that's grieving with you. Do you understand? But he knows what's best for you, and what's best for you is to get the infection out so that you can be the person that you need to be in Christ, which is a bold witness. And look at verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how with shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Do you know that sodium chloride in its pure form never goes bad? Ever. Never. But when impurities come into sodium chloride and they used to mine salt in the Dead Sea, this, the impurities the sin, the iniquity, the unforgiveness, the sodium chloride leaches out of the salt crystals. And that's what he's talking about. It's no longer good to be trampled on your foot. The impurities, the sin, the unforgiveness is what causes us to be less salty. And we're we're not good to be seasoned something that is tasteful, something that might sting when you put it in a wound, but it brings healing. And he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Did you know that a conquered city has no walls? They would build walls around a city for what? To protect the city. When you conquered the city, you raised the walls to the ground. They called it a tell. It's a mound. A tell is a mound that has been one city built on another city's devastation. Year after year after year. That's how they tell archaeologists. They dig through the strata layer of the, the, the cities and get down to the original one and count backwards up. And that's how they can tell how many cities were built there. A tale. And when this is saying that you are a light in the world, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. When we harbor unforgiveness... There's a wall goes up and a wall goes up and a wall goes up and that's what's not going to hurt me. Here's another wall and you're a city and there's light on the inside and you're set up on a hill. But nobody can see the light because of all the walls that are up around you. You have not been conquered by your God, completely conquered by the Almighty. You need a shaking to occur and it's not easy, it's not pretty, it's not fun, and it can be downright painful. But if you will in faith, do, do an exercise. I'm about doing things. Write their name on a piece of paper. And if you want, write what they did to you. And make you a list if you have to. And I forgive them, God. And say it out loud. You know I don't mean it. Right now, but I'm going to mean it. In faith, I believe. Because Forgiveness is not easy, but it is simple. The enemy's made it complicated. Forgiveness is not easy, but it's simple. All it takes is faith and obedience. God in faith, I forgive so-and-so for what they did to me in 19 so-and-so. And though they're long since dead, Lord, you hear my cry. And this is about me and me living a full, abundant life, free from chains that will hold me down. Won't you stand to your feet, and I'm going to pray. And uh, uh, Pastor, did you have anything? No? Okay. And what I would say to you as the uh, band comes and the uh, worship team comes, I can't offer you anything other than what the Lord told me. I'm, I'm you. I'm the simple one that was lost and saved. That's all that I am. And, you know, but when God shows me these things, He shows them to me on a level that I can understand because He cares about me. And I would say to you if you're harboring unforgiveness, Proverbs says that a broken spirit dries the bones, bitterness dries the bones. I would say to you that you need to come and make that right with the Lord. There's something about laying it down before him. You don't need me to pray for you. I'll do that, you know, if somebody needs prayer. I'm always available for prayer for you. Uh, But you can make that right before the Lord. And you write those names on that piece of paper. If you want to tear them up and stomp on them and bury them, do it. If you want to burn it when you're done, burn it. As an offering, like the smoke's going up to the Lord. There it is, Lord. Gone. I forgive. I forgive. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Whoa, that's a revelation. (laughs) Forgiveness is not forgetting. God's the only being that can choose to forget. He said, I remember your sin no more. I'm, I'm not God. I remember pains. I can remember them, but now in those areas, God has given me, I have no pain when I talk about those things. I have truly forgiven now. It's such a blessing. It's a lightness. It's a feeling of lightness. It's only something that the Holy Spirit can do. That's why I want to stress to you, it's it's got nothing to do with me. I'm just a vessel that read this. Top of my head blew off in the car. Like, wow! And there it is. So I'm going to pray for you and dismiss you. But if you want to come up, and just get straight with God on oh, forgiveness. Or you want us where you're at, it's fine. Or if you want me to pray for you, I'll pray for you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for these precious folks here today. Lord, they've came out, God. And Lord, Lord, I know I've, I've gone long-winded, Lord. But Father, I, I just know, Lord, there's blessing waiting. Lord, there's a bottle of blessing waiting to be uncorked on them, Lord. And God, you're not angry at them about unforgiveness. God, you're hurting. You're sighing with them, Lord. You want that taken out of the way so that that pipes of blessing can flow out on them, Lord. And Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit on those who are hurting, God. God, they have legitimate complaints. God, they have legitimately been wronged. Lord, some of them have been molested, Lord, Some of them have been physically abused, mentally abused, God, verbally abused, God. Lord, whatever it's been, they've been stolen from, God. Whatever it is, God, Lord, they are legitimately hurting. They have a legitimate complaint. And God, you said that, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest You will find rest for your souls, waters of rest. Goodness and mercy is not going to give up on you. Don't you give up on God. Don't give up on God. Please, please, please. He wants to take that hurt away. He wants to heal those wounds. He wants to dig that infection out of you. He wants to give you abundant life, abundant life. David said, I would have lost heart had I not believed. I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is the land of the living. Don't let Satan rob you with a lie of an abundant life. I implore you today, don't let him do it. Forgive them. They don't deserve it. But neither did I. Neither did I. I was the the one who was unthankful and evil. I pray that over your people, Lord. Bless them, Father, with peace and happiness and joy, Lord, laughter in their homes. God, where there is no peace, I pray your Holy Spirit go in with them today. When they go home, it'll be as if your presence just comes in with them and peace rests upon their homes, Lord. I bless their finances, God. They are blessed going in and coming out, lying down and rising up. And whatever they set their hand to do, prosper them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thanks for letting me yell at you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.